0: of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello everyone, this is Jonathan Michael Jones. You may visit me at jonathanjones.tv. Uh having discussions about worship, theology, and culture. Um, today is more of a theological topic, um, and that is living in the reality of Christ's incarnation. Here we are approaching Christmas, and um, uh, as you're listening to this, we are likely in the Advent uh, season. I pre-record these, so we may not be there yet, but we are just about there if we aren't. In the Advent uh, season. And uh, we are approaching Christmas, uh, which is the time we celebrate the birth of Christ, God Himself uh, coming to this earth, humbling Himself, taking on the form of a bond servant, of a servant. Uh, and Scripture says, emptying Himself and uh, considering Himself as God as nothing to be grasped, and taking on the form of a human being, God in flesh, the incarnation. Uh, but something we fail to think about often is the reality of Christ's continued incarnation. The The Christmas story is surrounded with miracles. The virgin birth, the star, there are so many miracles that surround the birth of Christ. The dream even that Joseph, the dreams that Joseph and Mary had are miracles in and of themselves. Um, but the, not the least miracle is uh god becoming incarnate god himself becoming human being and dwelling among us in the flesh and the incarnation of christ should never be neglected as a significant miracle its implications reach far beyond our personal preference and into eternal matters we must believe in the incarnation and um We should live in the reality of Christ's incarnation, not just his incarnation nearly 2,000 years ago, but also his continued incarnation to this day. Again, the latter part is something that we fail to recognize quite often, I think, in churches. And... Regarding the reality of living in Christ's incarnation and his continued incarnation, I have three thoughts, three primary suggestions, and a conclusion that I want to talk about when considering this, how to live in the reality of Christ's incarnation. The first thought I have is that our incarnate God, Jesus Christ, is righteous, Scripture tells us that Jesus serves as our high priest, um, and it gives us great comfort since he was tempted as we are, but did not sin, according to Hebrews 4.15. He lived among us, lived as human, but did not sin. Christ's righteousness was necessary for him to be the perfect sacrificial lamb on the cross. God the Father demanded an unblemished sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ, And while our human nature is evil, a lot of people don't want to think about that, but by nature, we are evil from the moment of conception. That is something people uh, neglect to realize. Sometimes people have the idea that, as human beings, at least babies are innocent. And they are not. No one is. We are conceived in sin, but Christ, however, his nature is righteous. That's why the virgin birth is so crucial, and it is important that we believe that. If Christ was not born of a virgin, he and not conceived by the Holy Spirit rather than a man, he was conceived in sin as we are. And his righteous nature, however, demanded that he be born of a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, recently, I think last year, a popular preacher uh, that I'm well aware of Proclaimed that it's more important for people to believe in the resurrection than the bir- the virgin birth uh, I- I'm-, I'm here to tell you this is blatantly false The two are equally important If the virgin birth did not occur, Christ's sacrifice would have been in, in vain Because the price was an unblemished sacrificial lamb, the Lamb of God And our incarnate God, Jesus Christ, is righteous by nature. There's no bipolarity. He is fully God and fully man, both, 100%. Yet with a righteous nature, vastly disparate from our own, and he was not conceived in sin. His nature is righteousness, whereas ours is evil. Um. And that is part of the amazing thing of the miracle of the incarnate, incarnation. Second thought I have is that our incarnate God, Jesus Christ, sympathizes with us. We should take comfort in the fact that he sympathizes with us. I just mentioned and referenced Hebrews 4.15, that he was tempted as we are but did not sin. And in, in Hebrews says we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us on our behalf. He was not only tempted as we are and used to sympathize with us when he was here on earth as a human, but he continues to sympathize with us as well. The first time I realized this about this this verse in Hebrews it says this scripture that he is the high priest who sympathizes with us currently. I was blown away. I was amazed because we often think of Christ as so far away and and maybe once he sympathized with us when he was here on earth. But no longer sympathizes with us, but he continues to because he has continued uh, to he he continues to be incarnate. Uh, we often neglect to think about the continued incarnation of Christ. While he is certainly in his glorified body, he is nonetheless fully human to this day, as he was when he walked here on the earth. He's human. Uh, there, there, therefore, he continues to understand our present. Uh, groanings. He he sympathizes with us. I once spoke about this mystery with someone who seemed shocked that I said Jesus is still human, and uh, this lady said, "I've never thought of that." And I said, "Well, what do you think happened to him when he ascended?" And she said, "Well, I just assumed he became a spirit or or uh, he just disappeared." Uh, contrarily, Jesus remained God in human flesh even after he ascended. Uh, that is one reason in the liturgical Christian year we remember the ascension. Jesus ascended in bodily form. And one day we will be able to behold the Lamb. Revelation 5.6 says we'll be able to behold the Lamb who was slain. In other words, we'll be able to see the markings from the crucifixion. He um, is still human. We don't serve a God who's, who does not understand what we face, but we serve a God who presently, not just past tense, but presently understands and sympathizes with us because he is human. And the incarnation ensures ins- his relationship with us as humans and the fact that he can relate to us and does. The incarnation implies that Jesus is not far out there, but right here with us as a God who currently sympathizes with us. This, uh, the third thought I have regarding the Incarnation and living in the re- reality of Christ's Incarnation is that we share in our incarnate God's sufferings. We share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Uh, because Jesus continues to be incarnate, and because he understands human suffering, we should also share in his sufferings. Because that's our call as Christians, according to First Peter 4.13, and the very mark of who we are in Christ Suffering is usually shed in a negative light because it is painful. But in this matter, the glory of Christ is revealed through our sufferings. It's a noble and joyful experience. Uh, Callistos Ware says it this way. He says, we should not say that Christ has suffered instead of us, but rather that he has suffered on our behalf. The Son of God suffered unto death, not that we might be exempt from suffering, but that our suffering might be like his. Christ offers us not a way around suffering, but a way through it. Not substantiation, but saving companionship. End quote. And so we might wonder how Christ still suffers. Uh, Scripture makes clear the concept Of Christ's suffering through the church's suffering. On the Damascus Road, Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul, who who was Saul at the time, and he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute in Acts 9. In other words, it was not primarily Christians whom Saul persecuted, but it was in fact Jesus Christ, even though Christ had already ascended. Additionally the sermon on the mount Jesus proclaims he says blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you suffering should be a part of our very existence as Christians uh, but rest assured that it is not us who are being persecuted but Christ himself and in that way we share in the sufferings of Christ. I would even go as far as to say if we are not being persecuted in some way, we might want to question our faith and our walk with Christ. In our unpleasant trials, uh, Jesus is there with us and he is indeed the one being persecuted. So we should take we should take joy in our call and in our participation in the sufferings of Christ. The incarnation of Jesus safeguards his sympathy for us and his suffering with us. We serve a God, again, who understands, who suffers with us. Um, And the conclusion of this matter that I have is that our, our incarnate God, Jesus Christ, does not only obey the word, but he is The Word. I'm referring to John 1 that says He is the Word made flesh. That is the incarnation. God is the Word, and He became flesh. He is the perfect fulfillment of the law, according to Romans 10.4, because He is the law. (laughs) We get the idea that Jesus obeyed the Bible. Well, the reason He obeyed the Bible is because He is the Bible, he is the perfect example of righteousness because he is righteous. In other words, righteousness is derived from him. He is not derived from righteousness. Christ, then, is the ultimate model for life and for righteousness. And we should, we should not only consider Jesus to be deity, but also human. He is incarnate God. If we need an example of a righteous living as a human being, we should look no further than Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ reveals a matchless level of relationship and understanding. And God humbled himself. He became man through the womb of a virgin named Mary, a miracle in and of itself. He was not conceived in sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in righteousness rather than in sin as we are. Therefore, his nature is righteous. He faced every temptation we face, and yet he was blameless. He died as the atoning sacrifice for the sin of his people and was then raised in bodily form and ascended in the same manner and today sits at the right hand of God as human. Jesus did not just obey the word, but he is the word. In other words, the entirety of scripture points to him as the center of all existence. And so we should look to Jesus, God incarnate, As the author and the perfecter of our faith and as the model for righteousness with the realization that we serve a living God who remains incarnate. And how comforting and how wonderful that should be for us today, this very day, as the people of God, as the church. Thanks for listening. This is Jonathan Michael Jones.